Howdy, howdy, do you, Who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 274. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective view, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire and do that. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. And not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes. And it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Howdy, howdy, howdy do, Who fans. I hope you're all well, keeping safe as always. Hope you've had a cracking week. Or a couple of weeks. And that you've managed to do something Doctor, Doctor Who, Who related. related yes. Indeedy. We've got a few technical gremlins going on this week. We have, yeah. As expected. Coronavirus and all that. <laughs> Corona's got to my mic. Yeah, well, I remember a year or so ago, everything bad that happened, it was it was Brexit, wasn't it? Ah, Brexit. We've got Brexit. a Brexit microphone. Now we've got a Corona microphone. <laughs> corona microphone. <laughs> Basically, who fans my microphone? My beautiful microphone that um, I used to record the podcast every week as as the just died basically so i'm having to use a pair of apple headphones with a mic on it <laughs> this is going back to the days and i still love this day when i was having to um stay at my sister's and we recorded and she just had a, um, a baby so i was trying to find a quiet place to record so i went and sat in her partner's car with this i used to have this sort of microphone it was so um broken it was basically a wire with a with a microphone <clears throat> piece on the end it looked like that thing out of liar liar if you've ever seen that film <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was just a wire with a mic on the end and uh, we recorded it like that and just yeah back to basics so yeah. hopefully i'm coming through loud and clear <laughs> yep loud and clear dude but i remember oh, those good. good old good old days they were really oh, funny because wow, i remember wow. the first time adam and i recorded on skype with video and um yeah that microphone he's talking about was brilliant because he just used to hold it like it it was like um it wasn't like a really rigid wire was it but you used to hold it like up to your mouth sort of thing and yeah and it was like just fraying at the end and the cable was coming off and a bit of 
plastic on it was broken and stuff but oh, it actually worked yeah. it was you we had to sort of work with what we had i suppose I've, i'll <laughs> see if i can find a f- picture of it um but if you want to if if you listeners are trying to picture it think of sylvester mccoy at the end of remembrance of the daleks when he's talking to davros holding that piece of fishing wire just, it, it's very similar to that it was just oh a, yeah yeah it's just sort of like a curly wire <laughs> with a with a little speaker on the end of it yeah um i'll see if i can find a picture but yes that not quite amazing. as bad. I mean, these, yeah, at least this is a bit more technical. But I, I feel weird not having like the what do you call that thing that I have in front of the mic? The a pop sound pop up. Yeah, yeah. yeah it just this feels weird recording like this. I haven't got all the techno stuff in front of me. I feel a bit exposed. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It does provide a bit of a subconscious shield. I could like you hold can hide it in front of me it. like a fan. <laughs> <laughs> you could hold. Yeah, you could do. You wouldn't do anything, but. No, it wouldn't, though. <laughs> I'm glad you told me that now, rather than being cruel and just making me hold it for the whole show and then saying, <laughs> by the way, I didn't do a thing. <laughs> so, we, yeah, we will hopefully get this sorted out uh, and, and get <laughs> and get Adam back up to broadcast quality uh, at some point, yes. But, uh, no, we're all good. We're, we're, we're rock and roll still. I think the earth would have to be crumbling around us like a bit of a... <laughs> dystopian sort of post-nuclear war where you've got your microphone hanging you know from a ceiling because it's collapsed and <laughs> we're in a wheelchair and everything radiation burns we'll still record but yeah, it might we just sound a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> so yes we hope you guys are all, are all good all well we are back this week we're off last week that's what happens when uh when the two of us are, are back to work our schedules clash sometimes so it might be like that for the next few weeks. We might have uh, another week or two where um, where we don't record. But uh, no, have no fear. We, we'll 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 get round to to finishing the key to time stuff. Don't worry. We'll um we'll get that. It just might take us a week or two longer than expected. But we'll keep you guys up to date with that stuff. Just keep an eye on the socials and all that jazz, all that all that social stuff. So how have you been, Bud, for the past week? We had a quick chat earlier. I don't think any of us, uh, either of us have done any. Uh, Anything major, Doctor Who, but are you keeping well, though, dude? You're good. Yeah, yes, I am. Yeah, I was saying, we were saying just before we recorded, because obviously, you know, two weeks since we last recorded, and I was sort of, um, I always try and think of who things that I've done before we start. So, right, what can I waffle about? What can I ramble on about at the beginning? And um, it, unfortunately, work really is just getting in the way at the minute. I I mean, you know, I don't, you can't be furloughed forever, but God, it was so nice when we had all that time and we just could record any day. It didn't matter. We weren't trying to match days when you weren't working or I weren't working. And uh, since I've gone back to work, it's, it's just been so busy and I really just haven't had a, a lot of time at all. So I'm sorry to say that even in these two weeks, I haven't really done anything not too related. I, I, I only just got to watch the pirate planet, to be honest. Um, I did watch, there's a nice little documentary on the DVD, um, you know, like a little mini making of. I did watch that um, just to sort of get a little more insight into it and Douglas Adams. So I did watch that, which is nice. His sort of half-brothers on there talking about him and stuff. And there's a few rare little clips of Dougie Adams on the DVD as well, which are really nice. Um, Because I find him a fascinating character, Douglas Adams. I really Mm. do. So um, it's nice to actually see some video clips of him on the DVD. Um, But apart from that, not a lot. But um, because we couldn't record... On the, on the day that I did had off, have off, um, I decided to very spontaneously go up to our old friend Forbidden Planet um, the other day. So I did pop up to London 
And, and I wasn't sure. I was quite apprehensive on the train. I was thinking, well, what's this going to be like then? Because I knew they'd reopened. And, um, you know, I've got my mask on and I'm approaching it and I'm getting that buzz of, oh, it's been a long time, you know, and coming up to Forbidden Planet. And just, just on my own, just literally popped up on my own. And um, it gets to the front and you have to go actually go round to the back. So you can't get the, – the front is now the exit. So right, they've still got right. a big poster of Jody space mm-hmm. for all on the door, which is nice to see. Uh, so I go around the back, and um, yeah, I went in, and I think there was only me and one or two, two maximum people in there. So oh, I pretty much had the whole of Forbidden Planet to myself. It was, you know, <laughs> it was just like heaven. And I, I spent probably nearly an hour and a half, if not two hours, just walking around. Because there is so much to take in. And when there's nobody else in there, you really can sort of look. Like I was looking right up at the top of the shelves, all the stuff, and, they, you know, because I've got all these box sets up on the wall. I was like, oh, I never really sort of look at this stuff. I mean, it's Star Trek and things, not anything I would buy, but it was just interesting to actually look at all the, you know, like, oh, my God, they've got a load of Godzillas up on the <laughs> off, on top shelf. And the, and the cabinet as well was just full of beautiful things. And um, so, yeah, I was having a really nice wander around. But um, obviously the first section that i gravitate towards is the blind box section i, I obviously go i go straight to that because <laughs> uh, it was sort of near the near where you go in um so i have a look along and i'm thinking oh yeah i think i'll treat myself to a little blind box so come all this way let's have a blind box now uh, what shall i go for i pick one up give it a little rattle yeah i might get that one this guy and then i put it back and then this guy out of nowhere i think he might be the manager just leapt it you do not pick up if you're not purchasing, if you're not putting that in your basket, you cannot touch anything. Oh, right. Okay. Blimey. So, uh, so I was like, okay, right. Um, I mean, you know, it makes sense in this time at the minute that, you know, you shouldn't be touching everything. Fair enough. But, but then for the rest of the time, I was sort of walking around with my hands by my side thinking, this is weird. I want to touch stuff. I want to, <laughs> you know me, I like to, if I'm going to buy something, I like to pick the perfect one. I want to mm-hmm. check the paint job. Um, so it was it was great so the whole shot to myself but it's also very sort of restricting because you literally are not supposed to touch anything um and sometimes they've got like with the pops they've got figures behind the figures so you sort of so i was thinking well i want to look at the ones that are behind these boxes so am i allowed to move that or what am i allowed to do it was you know what i mean it's quite a strange experience if you like um so, yeah, I'm trying to think what I bought. I didn't buy anything Doctor Who. I, I'm sorry to say that the section has got even smaller. You're oh, not going to believe moved this. It, so they? yeah. They've moved it again. Mm. They've moved it again. So now when you come in the back door, which is now the front door, <laughs> so the back of the building, you come in, you turn left, and it's right in front of you straight away. You know, I think they used to have T-shirts there or something. There's like a really tiny shelf. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. That's where it is. Oh, yeah. It's just that yeah. one little corner now. Um, and all they had was like the usual stuff, a uh, couple of T-shirts, um, loads of the Titan 13th Doctor figures. Um, what else did they have? A Dalek pop, you know, the new reconnaissance. No, what's he called? The Sheffield Steel Dalek pop. He'd been reduced to £3.50. I mean, I've already wow. got him, but, you know, wow. I was thinking, wow. Um yeah, so very little in the Dot Two section. I think all I bought was a He-Man figure, a retro Star Wars figure, and um, a blind box, a Futurama blind box. Which um, oh, it's so annoying. I'd already got the figure as well, and I blamed that. I was like, oh, if he'd have just let me shake the box, 
Um, I'd already got it. It's like there's another chef bender. I think I've got three of them. Uh, uh, so yeah, but it was yeah, it's lovely to to see FP open again, and um, you know, obviously all the restrictions are in place, and you know, we got to sanitize all the doors you come in and stuff. Um, and it was lovely to actually have space to move around and look. Um, yeah. So I, and then I walked around London for a little bit, and I have to say it was very quiet, uh, as you'd expect. Um, a lot of the pubs and restaurants not open. Um, yeah, so that's that's really all I've done, really. Doctor Who related is, is just pop up to FP. It was lovely to to, to go up there, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Next time we go in, it's it's a very different shopping experience. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I read you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I haven't had a chance to watch or read anything, um, or listen to any Big Finish. I'm afraid. Yeah. I did get the new fourth doctor while arrived yesterday the um oh what's it called something of the sun shadow the one that they shadow of the sun yeah Mm. the one they recorded in lockdown the physical copy of that arrived from big finish yesterday so they've obviously getting all their backlog of orders out which is nice yeah yeah it's good because i guess um normally i'd get an email so i'd know it's on the way but i guess with things the way they are they're not having time to I don't know, to, to sort of email you to say it's been dispatched. So there's literally stuff just turning up. So it's quite nice. It's like a little surprise was waiting. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and my nice postman is back. Oh, cool. So, um, so last month, Doctor Who magazine was folded in half with a nice big <laughs> crease down it and shoved through my letterbox, despite me having a sign saying, please do not bend magazines. And I said, that can't be my, because I've got one nice postman. Uh, he always brings it to the door and he's very chatty. I knew he wouldn't do it. And <laughs> so so obviously this month's comes out and it's got that beautiful John Pertwee cover. Like a, is it orange or yellowy? You know the one I mean? It's got John Pertwee and Liz Sladen on it. It's a beautiful cover to this hmm. month's yeah. Doctor Who mag. And I thought, because I, I get the subscriber copy with no text on it, I was really looking forward to getting that copy. And I thought, if that arrives, if he folds that in half, I'm going to be running down that road and I will... <laughs> batter him with it um but uh, no i saw the jolly postman coming up with it in his hand and i was like oh you're back it was like oh yeah and i told him about what happened with the other magazine and he said oh you just can't get the stuff and oh we had a little laugh about it so all is well all is well with Dr. yeah no more folded up rubbish scuffed magazines well, it, was, yeah. it was a little battered but at least it wasn't folded i could and at least he brought it to the door um the thing that slightly annoyed me about the, the other one though was i because it, obviously it's not dot two magazine's fault because it had been folded by the postman but when i opened it sort of three of the um half the pages had sort of ripped at the side i thought no i'm gonna just you know see if i can get a replacement um and they were very friendly yeah we'll send you one no problem not a problem at all and they sent me one but it wasn't the subscriber copy Oh, right. Yeah, it was the one with the text, and mm-hmm. I saw the email them, and they said, "Yeah, we couldn't, we didn't have any, we didn't have any replacements of the subscriber copy." And I thought, "Oh, that's a bit annoying because if yours goes missing in the post or arrives damaged, and you're a subscriber, the whole point of being a subscriber is to get the text free." So I was a little bit miffed about that, but at least, at least the gorgeous pearl we cover arrived all right anyway. Oh, so, nice, dude. So I'm yeah. happy, chap. So that's been me really for the last couple of weeks. It's just been all work and no play, pretty much, um, apart from my day. Uh, FP. What about you, bud? What have you been up to? Yeah, I've uh, not done too much Doctor Who either, mate, I'll be honest with you. Um, the only thing I've done is watch a bit of Classic Who over the past been week on the or old so. Britbox, have you? Yeah, so I've fired up the old Britbox subscription again because I'm going to be out and about for the next few weeks. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd stick that on the iPad. Uh, so if, if we're sort of running short on time, 
I can just fire that up and watch what we're going to review. You know, so I can just sort of have it out and about, which is really nice. And it was really cool, actually. I remember um, months and months ago now when I first did the BritBox thing, it was very cool to um, just to have that light. I know it's it's weird, but just to have the whole library at your fingertips as you're browsing yeah. through stuff, it's got something cool about it. And um, with with a few things over the past, I don't know, year or so, I have converted over to digital. So like anything that I buy from Big Finish now is digital and there's a few other things. And uh, But for classic Doctor Who, I still love my physical DVD collection. I still love all that stuff. So um, I'm not going to start selling any of that off or anything like that. But there's something different. I don't know what it is. Like when I'm in the mood to watch some classic Who, I stand in front of the bookshelf that's got all the DVDs on mm. and I'm scanning through and like, oh, that's good. I might watch that. And I can never seem to make up my mind. It takes me bloody ages. It's like, well, I've been standing here for 20 minutes now. I could have watched an episode. Yeah. and I'm still deciding but for some reason it's cool when you're skimming it's the same with Netflix and Disney Plus and all that stuff when you're skimming through I think it's just having that additional bit of info as you're uh, scrolling through stuff so uh, like the usual thing like when you go through different stories and stuff you see the cover art you see a nice big image from the from yeah. the episode and you see a bit of blurb and stuff I don't know it's just cool it just kind of steers you in the right direction if you know what I mean I, I do know what you mean. It's it's weird, isn't it? Because I've often felt like that. Um, if something's on TV, it's I don't know if it's that thing of you know uh, you sort of feel like you're watching it with other people because it's on the TV. Mm-hmm. Like if, for example, the Peter Cushion movie was on, I would sit there and watch it because it's on the TV. It's like something about I don't know. It has a different feel to it, doesn't it? And like you said, having it all at your fingertips as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's- so I do know what you mean. It's hard to explain but I, I totally get where you're coming from oh cool yeah i hope, I hope yeah. i'm making sense yeah it's like yeah, when it's yeah. on the telly box i don't know it just has a different has a different vibe about it but yeah because yeah, um because we're doing the key to time stuff at the moment i was looking through the fourth doctor section and so on i came across a few stories i thought i haven't seen those in ages i'll give them a watch so uh, i've watched the uh horror of fang rock that's always a good oh one. yes yeah yep uh the uh nightmare of eden which we haven't reviewed yet, so I'm going to have to keep Stum on that. Uh, not reading. And uh, the other one, I went right back, right back to Series 12 with uh, with the Centauran experiment. Because a lot of people, oh. they, they always gravitate towards Genesis or Revenge of the Cybermen. And I thought, no, no, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Potato Head. I'm going to go <laughs> full on. And that, that big silver robot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That big dustbin <laughs> robot. Oh. Exactly that, yeah. So oh. I've watched a few Tom stories over the last week, so that's been really nice. Just to um, Tom mood, just to, yeah. But I've not done anything else. But um, it's interesting you mentioned that section in Forbidden Planet because over on our Discord server, there's a there was a uh, a person, uh, Dave Carlin, who put a picture on to say that I thought you and Adam would hate this as much as I did, <laughs> and uh, he put a pic there of the the new section that you just mentioned at the back of Forbidden Planet, where the posters and T-shirts used to be, apparently, or around that area. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And when I saw the picture, I was like, uh, I was like, well, it looks quite neat. And like the picture that he posted, it looks quite neat and tidy because mm. obviously they've just moved everything over. So it's, you know, they've organized it. But uh, I don't know. It, yeah. We would, any, if anyone wants to get involved, by the way, there's a link on our website to the Discord server. We're always chatting about this kind of thing. There's loads of other Who fans in there. And we, somebody will start it off like this photo. And then before you know it, everyone's been chatting for like three or four hours about it. But it was kind of saying that 
I don't know, like the picture that I'm looking at now, they're still peddling like five, six-year-old pieces of stock, like on the top shelf that I can see here. They've got the old uh, Torchwood Captain Jack bust that I've oh, and they've got the old Matt Smith and Tennant half, you know, those half busts from the waist up. The, yeah, I know. Yeah, I've got a couple of them. Yeah. yeah, and they're in the really old packaging. Now, I remember seeing those in FP, like, crikey, I don't know, like 2012, 2013, oh, something yeah, like that. Um, yeah, so although it's quite cool that it's all looks, it looks neat and tidy, it's still not great that they're still reducing it down in size. Every time they move it or do something, it's like smaller, smaller, smaller. Um, and I, they just can't shift this really old stock that's been in there for donkey's years. It's sad, really. I know. I, I was thinking as well, because you get such a buzz, you know, like with these new B&M sets coming out, that, you know, there's such a buzz around them amongst, because people like myself that love the figure sets. And I'm thinking, but they're so, you know, I'm, I'm dreading trying to get hold of them because of the fact that they're limited and the limited scalpers and the fact that you've got to go into B&M to get them and, there's no way to check stocks. You have to keep going. And it's such a nightmare. And I think, God, it's, you know, why not just give those lovely sets to a big, to, to amount of people like Forbidden Planet? Like when they did the 30th Dr. Tardis recently, you could order that from FP online or you could go in the shop and they've got it. And oh, it just takes away all that, you know, it's not limited. So you haven't got to worry about people trying to buy them all up. And then you have to try and, you know, they're on it. So I'm just, yeah, I kind of miss that because there's some nice merch out there. You know, I mean, I, I know you're not much of a fan of the figure sets, but say, for example, the new Second Doctor TARDIS um, that they're bringing out. You know, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to getting that set. But just to be able to, you know, if you could, if I could just walk into FP and there they, they've got them all on the shelf, just like this next to the 13th Doctor one. You know, I sort of miss that, really, rather than thinking, oh, God, I've got to go to B&M and I wonder if they'll have it. I wonder if, it, you know, has have I got there before the scalpers got them because it's exclusive to B&M. You know, it's just so... There is some nice stuff out there. I think it's just that because of the sort of business model we're at, Doctor, at the minute, it's it's become sort of a bit of a niche market again, hasn't it? So, so, yeah, so yeah. some of the nice stuff like those B&M sets are hard to get. Um, but yeah, I'd love it. Imagine if you walked into FP, and even if they just had those new sets, I think there's six new sets is there. There's like a Romana set, there's a 13th Doctor set, there's a unit set in there. Imagine if you walked into FP and they've, you know, even if it's just for a month or two, oh, look, the new sets and, you know, the Doctor Who section looks a bit freshened up because they've got the new sets in. How, how nice would that be? But no, instead you've got to go into Limin old B&M. <laughs> yeah, you have to do that. Limin old B&M, yeah. That yeah. was, I swore, well, that was awful. <laughs> Last time I went in there, there was no social distancing at all. Very different to the experience I had in FP, I have to say. Mm. So I'm really not looking forward to trying to get them, but but I know what you mean. It's uh, yeah, it's looking a little tired. It is, yeah. And then yeah. further down in the Discord, the same uh, Dave Carlin again posted another picture. He said his brother sent this to me. It was from Toys R Us. Oh, I saw that picture. Did you see the pic? Oh. Crikey, this must be like 2006 or seven. Back this in the, the uh, this is the glory days, mate. This really is. Yeah, anyone that's not seen it on the. Um, Go and look at our the the big blue box uh, Twitter account. I put it up on there, or come over to Discord. It's uh, it's an amazing picture. Now I remember going into Toys R Us and seeing a similar display for things yep. like Star Wars, Transformers, uh, all sorts of like these really big IPs. And what they did in Toys R Us was they essentially just dedicated the, an entire wall, 
Now, the walls are massive in Toys R Us. They're really high. Yeah. And this picture's got a huge, huge image of David Tennant with the TARDIS and a massive logo, huge Cyberman uh, 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 images with Daleks and stuff. And then just the amount of product on the shelf is amazing. Like, they've got loads of all the figures, all the TARDIS fit, uh, sets and Cyberman heads and all sorts. It's It's amazing. Like... I can't see us going back to those days, but what a trip down memory lane. That that photo when you put when you posted it, I was just like, oh wow! Like it is, um, it almost looks too good to be true. But I I do remember, it. I, I, yeah, I can remember walking into Toys R Us and seeing shelves like that. I mean, it, it slowly went down over the years, so I can remember towards the end. I, for me, I think it's when they started doing the three point seven five figures. I think that's when the merch started to tail off for me because they just didn't look very good yeah a lot of yeah, that stuff yeah. um but yeah i can remember like all the you know all the tardis sets and figures we used to get and oh it was good it was good it was amazing dude oh, yeah it oh. really was i don't know if we'll see that you know anytime soon but we could we could get back to something well maybe not even near it but we you know there is still a, a, a massive demand for merch out there i think you know there is but yeah i mean yeah it's scattered as well because there are there are a lot of nice products that again are, are hard to get. So there's like I love the Harrop figures, um, but you you know you can only order them online, which is fair enough. And Harrop mm. are a great company; they always arrive really well packed and stuff. So that's good. But imagine if they were on the shelves in a cabinet where you could see them, and they'd fly off the shelf, wouldn't they? If you could go in and see them all in the cabinet, you'd be like, oh, I'm getting that, you know, I'm getting that one. Um, the Crystal Tardis ones from America, um, I'd love to get all of them. But they're, again, you know, the last one took a while to arrive and stuff. And again, it's just if you could if you could go in a shop and see them all lined up, they look beautiful. They would, again, fly off the shelves, stuff like that. There's lots of lovely merch out there. It's just that it's sort of scattered in different places. Like the, the beauty of that picture that you're talking about is you walk in, there's a massive sign. You've got, you know, there's no you can tell exactly what the section is. It's Doctor Who and it's wall to wall merch it's just you know i'd just love to go back to that but yeah it'd be amazing yeah but i think who's just not as as much as we don't like to admit it doctor who's just not as popular as it was back in the tenant and smith eras it's just not no it's not no there's no there's no denying it it's it's no it's not in that place at the moment no not Um, at the moment it's like anything yeah Yeah, not at the moment it's like anything things go full circle but uh, we're definitely not in that particular uh place with doctor who at the minute um yeah. actually I tell you, there is one thing i'd love to know though when is the next blimmin blu-ray set out oh when god is the, when's yeah. the next announcement i mean come on we well, were supposed to get four this year we so were supposed to be yeah. Um, yeah. put a bit of a cosh on it, isn't it well i think yeah I, that, that's why i'm not too too miffed about it to be honest with you because there are a lot of jobs that you can obviously do from home and remotely and all that stuff i would probably say that film and tv restoration and mixing and all that sort of stuff is probably a bit more difficult maybe the audio yeah. is okay to do but certainly the 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 image processing and all that stuff and the editing and that it, it's probably a lot more difficult because when you edit something in film you have to get sign off and okay from somebody and you're in a studio of other people doing that if you're doing that at home you've got massive massive huge gigabytes of files that you have to upload to somebody to have a look 
And if they've got changes, you then have to do all that again and upload it all. It must be an absolute nightmare. So mm. I'm not too miffed because because of that reason, but I am starting to sort of drum my fingers on the desk yeah. subconsciously. I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Oh, I'm waiting for the next announcement. for, the... for the next Blu-ray set. Yeah. yeah it's got to be soon at the announcement, surely. Hopefully, um, yeah. Well, we did, we did have a rumour, didn't we, last time that it was going to be a first or second Doctor set, I remember. But um, that, nothing seemed to come of that as of yet. Yeah. To be honest with you, we've been it's been really quiet from the BBC's point of view, mm. like official stuff for ages now. It has. Ages. Yeah, because it's another week. Um, we've got no news to talk about. We've got a couple of bits of merch, but we've mm. still got nothing like official. Like we haven't seen any anything to say that production's back underway it might be but we don't know like we haven't seen any anything at all and there might be um you know there might be some cool production stuff that they could put out on socials and whatnot but instead they're just putting out these random weird videos on their youtube channel it's like <laughs> yeah yeah there was a there was a 30 minute um hand of fear video that they put on the youtube channel the other day just really weird it's just it's not a trailer and it's not a full episode or anything it's just the sort of randomly cut together video that doesn't quite make any sense because there's no context around what's going on it's just all these bits put together oh i didn't see that i must yeah. admit yeah it's a bit weird so they're i think they're just trying to pad it out they're just putting like you know longer pieces of content but they don't want to give away an entire episode for free because that's what britbox is for or you know buying the dvds so they're just trying to pad it pad it out with like random bits of content. It's a, it's a weird time, man. It is straight. I mean, it's a good job they recorded the special so early in advance, isn't it? So at least we know we've got something coming, mm. um, either Christmas or New Year, depending when they decide to release it. But after that, we've no idea. We, I, I mean, we'll be at the 60th soon <laughs> if this carries on, because you know, time is flying by at the minute. It is, mate. Yeah, before well, that's it. That's just it. Before you know it, we'll be like coming into autumn and winter time, mm. and then we're going to start having conversations. Like, well, are they still doing a Christmas or New Year's special? We assume so because I think that's already been filmed and done. But then, where do we go from there? Like, are we going to have them like the follow-on to series thirteen? We don't really know because we don't know if they're making it at the minute. But we yeah. ass- we assume they've made some of it because production started fairly early. We just don't know. It's weird. Have they, have they already started filming it, though? I wasn't sure. Have they already started filming 13? Uh, I, I think so, yeah. Before oh, yeah. before lockdown started and all that jazz. Well, they, they were certainly in pre-production, that's for sure. Well, imagine if, like, get, getting the continuity right, trying to match up. All oh, right, you know, they start filming again and everyone looks a bit different. <laughs> it'll be like be like Capelda's hair scenario all over again. It'll, it'll <laughs> keep going from short to long and, oh, no. <laughs> strange times. Yeah, it's strange. Anyways, let's crack on with the show. Uh, but before we get on to that, so we haven't got any news, like I said, we have got some merch, and then we're on to our review of of part two with the key to time, the pirate planet. But before we get on to all that, remember to subscribe to the show in whatever podcast app you get your podcasts on. We'd love to have you as a subscriber. That way you won't miss a show and it lands every Friday or most Fridays at the moment. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Come and join us over there. We chat Doctor Who throughout the week. And we have a free Discord server as well. There's a link to that on the website. Come and hang out with lots of other like-minded Who fans and come and chat Doctor Who and talk about the good old days of merch that we've done (laughs) (laughs) recently. 
Uh, and if you want to give us a review and a rating on your podcast app, that would be really cool as well. Um, and thank you so much. We've, we have a, a small trickle of reviews that come in um, every now and then on on the Apple Podcast app, which is really nice. I think there's a few others that accept reviews as well. I think Stitch is one of them and some other ones. But if you have got a minute to do that, that would be awesome. If you like what we do, obviously. That really helps us out lots and lots. So without further ado, uh, let's get into some merch. All righty. Merch corner. Merch corner. Merch corner. It's a bit rubbish, but it's pretty. It's very pretty. Well, there you are, young man. What do you think of that now, eh? A Viking helmet. I know. It's on the telly. It's everywhere. I don't know that to be impressed or disgusted. I work in a shop now. Here to help. It's in your head, doesn't it? It does. Uh, right, a new ebook has just been released for a charity called Timescope, which looks quite nice. So, Doctor Who fans from all over the world have joined forces to provide uh, 50 short stories that make up this anthology uh, book. It's an unofficial, unauthorized book, um, by the way. Um, so, it's like a fan made uh, thing. And along with those 50 stories, there's also a bunch of Doctor Who artwork and poetry. And it weaves its way through time and space, visiting the various Doctors and all of their friends. And along the way, cast and crew share their memories of working on the show and projects from the wider universe. So this was made completely during the lockdown period this year. It's got over 100 contributors, and those contributors range from ages of 13 up to 90. Wow. And they've all given their work completely free to support the Scope charity because, according to the article that I'm reading here, the charity's income has fallen massively due to charity shops being closed and all the fundraising events have been cancelled due to COVID-19 and all that stuff. So it's a real tough time for Scope. So Scope is a charity that um, uh, they do loads for um, uh, disabled people, essentially. So... Um, uh, it's the Disability Equality Charity throughout England and Wales. And they provide um, uh, information and emotional support to disabled people when it's needed. Uh, so it's a really good, um, important charity that uh, I think has been going for ages now. It's, um, but yeah, it's a, like any charity, though, during these times when they can't get out and fundraise and do all that stuff, it's very difficult. So uh, this ebook sounds uh, like a great idea and it's really cool, actually. It's not going to break the bank. Uh, it's six ninety nine. And all the proceeds for that go to uh, go to the charity, which is good. Uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes to pick this up. Um, but they did put a little caveat on the um, on the Timescope uh, website, just to say that uh, uh, it's a manual process for getting this ebook out to people. So um, as soon as you place your order, um, you might not get the ebook through like immediately, but they aim to get them out to people's inboxes within twenty four hours of popping your email, uh, popping your order through. So, um, yeah, uh, it's really, really simple. I'll put a link to it. There's just one product. They don't put any other ads for anything else. It's not confusing. You just go over there, select the option, you select time scope, add it to your cart and then bosh, you've got the book. So, um, so yeah, so I actually did mine uh, day before yesterday. I've not read it yet cause I've had time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to cracking on with, um, the various stories and whatnot. So, um, yeah, time scope. Uh, it sounds like a good thing. 
very worthy charity. Yeah, my friend Paul Burns um, submitted a story to that, so which is nice to know. So yes, please go and check that out and and get it. Right on to other news. So Time of Victoria, something else has been announced now. This multi-platform thing that is happening <laughs> uh, with David Tennant. This is um, this is slightly something a bit different, I thought, because um, we've got we've going to have comics. Obviously, Big Finish are doing their thing. So the latest one is an audio book by Demon Records. They're the guys, I think I'm saying, is it Demon or Damon? Damon, Damon Records. Demon Records. Yeah, they do those lovely vinyls that I like getting with the, with the uh, special covers. So they are releasing one called The Minds of Magnox. That's right, isn't it? <laughs> yep. The Minds of Magnox, <laughs> uh, which is a 10th Doctor. Well, he's on the front with the nude in a suit, which looks very cool. Um, and it's going to be narrated by Jacob Dudman. I think he is going to bring in other Doctors as well. So although Tennant's on the front, I believe other Doctors are going to feature in this, I think. Um, and this is coming out on the 3rd of December on CD and digital with a coloured vinyl um, on the 4th of December. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CD and digital editions uh, also feature a short coda to the story. wonder why they haven't put that with a vinyl. Hmm. Strange. That's anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure it'd be easy enough to get and just to give you uh, a little bit of blurb uh, this is written by uh, uh, a really nice chap called darren jones um, who we often see at the bfi events so nice to see his name attached to this as well uh, so in this story the doctor travels with brian and ood assistant already that sounds great uh, to the planet magnox um, and uh, this is home to the minds of magnox the doctor needs to ask a vital question but the answer is grade one classified in order to gain an audience with the mind of Magnox, he must take a dangerous test. Meanwhile, Brian gets involved with a criminal group and is asked to assassinate the minds of Magnox. However, others also have the planet within their sights. So this does sound like a cool story. And again, this is all fit into this Time Lord Victorious thing, which is kicking off. Um, I, I'm quite tempted with the coloured vinyl, to be honest. I'm always a sucker <laughs> for a coloured vinyl. Of course um, you are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so I'll probably go with that. But, yeah, nice to get another segment of this this whole big multi-platform story. Am I right in saying there's other Doctors? Why Because I can't see anything on here about it, but I'm sure I read somewhere that there were... Because at the time, I was thinking, oh, why have they got Jake and Dubman? Why don't they just get Tennant to do it? Because um, yeah. he's doing yeah. loads of big finish uh, at the minute. But well, I think it's because Dubman does other voices, and I had a feeling I'd read that he was going to be you know, to bringing in the other Doctors as well. but um, mm. Well, the story itself though. features 8th, 9th ah. and 10th Doctors, as well as Rose Tyler and the Daleks and the Ood. That's it. I knew I'd read it somewhere. Mm. Yeah, I literally saw that as you found it, yes. So yeah. that's probably why Dudman's doing it, because he's good at doing uh, lots of the Doctor's voices, isn't it? Yeah. Is it Matt Smith he became? Is that the one that really brought him into the limelight? I think it was. It was, yeah. When he, when yeah. he did Matt, he's so very good at Matt, isn't he? So. Yeah, his tenant yeah. and his Matt, his Matt Smith are very, very good. I'm not sure what his McGann's like, so we'll have to wait and no, see on that one. Know. But he might not even do the voices for the Doctors, because he's narrating the story. He might just chip in with um, Tennant and Smith for their voices, but not do the others. He might do the others, I'm not sure, but he certainly nails it for those two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this is out, to, yeah, as I said, uh, 3rd and 4th of December, and it's available to order from, I think the thing, I think the vinyl is exclusive to Amazon, but I'm guessing the other ones you can get 
from other outlets. But Amazon seemed to be monopolizing it at the moment in terms of pre-orders. So, indeed, yeah. yes, yeah, interesting this one as well because normally you would associate any sort of audio stuff with big finish. So it's interesting that BBC Audio are having a crack at um yeah at this thing. So and I know the big finish are doing the Time Lord Victoria stuff anyway. We've reported on that recently, but they're really pushing it hard, dude. They're really pushing all the different avenues to um to get the story out there, which is cool. I like it. Mm. Um, I do like the cover, but what on earth is going on with Tennant's eyes? They look weird. As in creepy. He looks like he's yeah. um he's on something. Mm. <laughs> they do look creepy. I mean, it's an interesting cover, though, isn't it? Love the dude in the suit, but yeah, what's going on with his eyes, man? That's... Yeah, you can't beat an ood in a it, suit. I feel like man. he's staring at me, disapprovingly. Well, yeah, with the, the expression on his face yeah. is very, very um, like what are you doing round here, <laughs> mixed with I'm literally about to get sucked into some kind of vortex. I have no idea where I'm going. See you later. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, but yes, yeah, so I should probably I'll probably put this one up. It does sound pretty cool. The Minds of Magnox. Interesting. Yes, right. That's it for merch, dude. That is it. That is it. Right. Review time. <laughs> Mr. Phoebe Lee. I was going to say, who's going to be the first? To do- I'm amazed <laughs> we've got this far without doing it, actually. Mr. Phoebe Lee. Right. What we got? Barbels. <laughs> I wondered what he was saying. That's the very first thing he says. It's barbels, barbels, barbels. What? I thought he was swearing. Anyway, in case you haven't guessed, this week we're reviewing The Pirate Planet. Calufrax, mean little planet. The life force is dead! The life force is dead! Murderers! Murderers! And yet, I've heard that somewhere before. They are evil zombies, they have terrible powers. Master! Mentiats, they're coming! No! There's an intruder on the planet. His name is the Doctor. Hello. Seize him. We are in very, very, very great danger. Romana, we've stumbled on one of the most heinous crimes ever committed in this galaxy. We've got to get out of here and get out of here quickly. We have come for you. Ooh. Oh, hello. The pirate planets. <laughs> I'm really glad that that YouTube channel's done the trailers for these, by the way. Yeah. I think I think he's done them all for the key to time stuff, which is godsend, because I couldn't find anything else. <laughs> um, so well, that's the another pi- cracking trailer. It yeah. is a cracking one, yeah. Yep. So The Pirate Planet, part two of The Key to Time, was first broadcast on the 30th of September 1978 and finished up on the 21st of October. 78. It's a four-parter. It was written by Douglas Adams, overseen by Anthony Reed, and directed by Pennant Roberts. Stars uh, Tom Baker and Mary Tam, along with John Leeson as a voice of K9. And the Doctor and Romana learn that the second segment to the key to time is on the planet Calufrax. Yet they arrive on a planet called Zanak, which is a bit of a turn-up for the books. Uh, which has been hollowed out and fitted with hyperspace engines, allowing the completely insane half-android captain to materialise it around smaller planets and then plunder their resources. So, uh, when we did part one, 
which was the the reboss operation. We were kind of middle of the road with that one, dude. We were a little bit like, eh, reboss operation. I gave it a 6.5. He gave it a, a 7. So we didn't think it was terrible by any means. But there were a few things that were just kind of holding it back. So now we're on part two. What do you reckon to the pirate planet? Pirate planet. Um, I enjoyed this one more. I, I, I thought this was quite good fun for the most part. Um, I found myself smirking and laughing at quite a lot of this. I'm not sure how much of it was supposed to be funny and how much I was just finding funny. Um, but then it's a Douglas Adams script, and I think there is, there's always a really good, sharp sense of humour, I think, in his stories. And, yeah, it was it was kind of how I remembered it. Cause you know, when, when I look at the key to time era, there, there are a couple of stories that I remember I didn't like, or certainly at the time. Um, and there were a couple which I remember thinking, yeah, that one was all right. And Pirate Planet was one of those. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed this more than Reboss. Um, although Reboss I enjoyed more than I remembered, to be fair. Um, yeah, I, I think it's some great ideas in it. Uh, you know, you can see, you can definitely feel this is a Douglas Adams script. And um, it's a, a bit like with the Reboss. It's, it's good. But it's just missing something for me to, to take it out to that level of classic. It's like, it's not one, I wouldn't say to someone, I, oh, you, you go watch the pirate planet. It's a Tom classic, but it's a good fun watch all the same. So it's, it's, it's a decent one. I think. And Tom seems to be really into this one. I think we've said this a few times, like you can tell when Tom's not really into a script. Um, and to me, this feels more like the, the fourth doctor that I remember you know, uh, as a kid and stuff, um, much more fun. He seems to be really enjoying the humour that's there in the script in this one. Because um, when Tom's not, when Tom's not into it, I think especially during you know the Graham Williams era with Leela, there's some great stories in there. But to me, Tom just feels a little subdued. Whereas to me, it feels like he's got his energy back in this season, even if the stories aren't great. Tom seems to be really lifting some of the story to me in his performance, um, which I think is what I look for in a good doctor, really. If you know, we've said this to Matt Smith, sometimes you get a story that's a bit middle of the road, but they bring the doctor, brings something to it. And for me, Tom Baker brings a lot to this story. I think he's really good fun in it. I think if I was a kid watching this back in what year is it? 1978. I think I would have loved this. I mean, it, it looks, it looks a bit dated now some of the effects like the running on the spot in the tunnel and you know the actual set with all its brightly lit beams around it it all looks a bit garish and tacky and stuff and the flying cars it hasn't dated very well but i can imagine if i was watching this as a kid back in 1978 i would have loved it i think and i, and I did enjoy it now but i think it, it really if you sort of take it into context of the time it was shown i bet it was great fun you know, this crazy pirate bellowing and his silly robot parrot, which cracks me up, that parrot. Um, you know, it, it, I just think this is there's a lot of fun in the story. And as I said, if I was watching this back in the day, I think I would have absolutely loved it. But um, even watching it now, I found it very enjoyable. I, I don't think it's an out-and-out -out classic, but uh, I, I did think it was fun, a fun watch. And then some great ideas, some really, really good ideas. The crushing of the planets and the reveal of the, whatever her name is, the, what was her name? The one that turns out, you know, the twist, the one that turns out to be 
an old woman in suspended in animal. You know, some great ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Typical Douglas Adams. So, mm. yeah, it's getting a thumbs up. It's getting a thumbs up for me. I did enjoy it. Over to you, buddy. What do you reckon? Yeah, this one's um, it's an interesting one. It's completely bonkers. This story. It is. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, I th- I think overall, I think it's really cool. I actually quite like it. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's something about it, isn't it? Yeah, the, I know that a lot of fans beat up on it a lot. I get that. Um, because let's face it, some of the acting is very like, right, well, we've got this dude over here. I think he'd be a great fit for the the pirate captain. Oh, okay, what's he done? Well, nothing yet. <laughs> but I think, be, I think it'd be great. Oh, here we go. And it's the same for like a couple of other people. It's, um, the, the acting is very, uh, drama schooly. <laughs> I think mm. is the best phrase to use. So, uh, We'll, we'll get on some in a second, but there's definitely some uh, some bits that are not great. But overall, it's just got a really cool, sort of funny, fun charm to it. And it's a really, it's not a bad watch at all, to be honest. It's um, no. I I prefer this to Reboss. I think Reboss, uh, I think had a job to do with kicking off the key to time stuff. But I feel like at times it takes itself really seriously. And there's a couple of dark moments where in this one, you can just tell that Douglas Adams is all over it in terms of, because yeah. he was still in his Hitchhiker's um, vibe at this time because he was working on, this was his very first script and contribution to Doctor Who. But at the same time, he was also working on the Hitchhiker's um, radio play, which was going through the motions with the BBC as well at the time. So he was working on both things at the same time. And you can just tell that he was in that kind of quirky, typical Douglas Adamsy, funny, um, sort of witty humour sort of thing that was going on. And it's all over the script as well. So as well as like the obvious um, uh, cringeworthy performances sometimes, you've also got these funny um, sort of little notes. It's mainly from Tom. I think Tom's having a real good time with this one because... He probably realizes that, yeah, it's um got it's got a couple of serious bits in there, like the the planets that they've managed to sort of um, align correctly within the ship so that they don't implode on each other and stuff, and the idea of uh, those dudes, what are they called, um, uh, the 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 Mentiads, you know, those dudes and you know, yeah. the, it's their home planet and all that stuff. He probably understands that there's some things going on as well as trying to find the key to time, but he's just having a lot of fun, like especially the interactions he has with the pirate planet, uh, the pirate captain and some of the Mentiads and stuff. It's uh, he's just not really taking it too seriously, which is really good because I felt that Rebos, he really did, he was really like. So some reason there's like a bit of a a transition between the two stories. Like in Reboss, he's very much like, uh, bar a couple of little scenes, he's very straight faced and very much like, right, got a new companion, new story, new everything, game face on, you know, let's let's do it. Whereas this one, he's like, right, that first one's out of the way. Now we can have a bit of fun, and and it comes through, and uh, and you can tell that Douglas Adams is just. Uh, kind of flitting between the two stories and borrowing stuff so at one point the doctor turns around to what's his name uh Kymus, Kimus, and he's just like don't panic 
and which ends up being you know which was the tagline for hitchhiker's guide to galaxy that's the the thing is like don't panic yeah and then there's a another line where he's like standing around all day looking tough must be very wearing on the nerd you know that bit that ends up being in the radio play for hitchhikers so he's like going between these things and it's just it, it it is very cool to see i mean there's a couple of like you said um weird bits with it like the little killer parrot um <laughs> which has a bit of a face off with k9 which is brilliant um i don't know if it's just me but in that scene like <laughs> i'm trying to think of a way to keep this clean <laughs> but it looks to me like the parrot's doing a a doo-doo a number two yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be a laser i assume yeah, yeah him and yeah. k9 are like firing laser shots at you. but it looks is that intentional or because it looks like the parrot's just uh yeah taking a doing a doo-doo mm. <laughs> every time he uses a laser yeah and, and uh, then, k9's laser has a very good habit of just firing completely off at the wrong angle which is yeah. really handy <laughs> i do love the scene when um when the doctor gives it because canine kills the, the robot parrot spoiler um so the doctor has to give the pirate captain the dead parrot and he's mortified isn't he he's like oh i can't think what the parrot's called um but yeah he's pretty mortified <laughs> as is, you would yeah. be as you would be but, i mean couldn't he yeah. mend it it's a robot i mean he couldn't, he couldn't mend it surely <laughs> yeah i mean it's just circuitry right you and would br- think yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But tonally, it's an odd. It, the tone of the episode is odd, isn't it? In this, the performances are very tongue-in-cheek. Um, so there's like this comedy element throughout it, but there's, but also there's quite sort of a seriousness to it. There's a great scene where Tom really seems to be letting loose when he shouts like, "But what's it for?" He's really going for it, isn't he? Mm. Um, great performance. I love the scenes when we get just the Doctor. And the pirate captain. I, do, I always love it when we get the doctor and the villain together just talking like two intelligent people. And it's, I always love it when we get that. You know, like the doctor and Davros, where they just sit down and have a chat. I just always think it's great when the story stops and you get moments like that. Um, but yeah, it's, tonally it's odd, isn't it? Because it is humorous and it, it is silly and bonkers. And you've got, <laughs> you've got this, you know, the robot parrot and stuff and... Yeah, on the other hand, there's a good story in, in between all of that, I think. Um, a really bonkers story as well, I think. Is, like we've said it a few times, is you can tell straight away this has come from the mind of Douglas Adams. I mean, anyone who hasn't listened to Hitchhikers, oh, please, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, I mean, no, I think that's Hitchhikers Guide's Galaxy is just a, the radio play in particular and the, the old TV show, absolutely just work of genius. So, so many amazing ideas that man was full of. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know, but you've got some good characters in this. I think it's very character driven. Like I said, not always the best acting, um, but but they you know good character driven story. I, there is one guy. Thankfully, he's not in it very much, but I think he was going for the because I think in a lot of stories we have a um, uh, what's, the chap, what's the chap's name out of visitation? The um, Michael Robbins. Michael the, Robbins. Yeah, yeah, the Michael Robbins yeah. Award for best actor. There's a guy in this who's definitely a contender um thankfully he's not in it very much it's the old man i think his name was balaton or something so you know in the first sort of episode where the doctor goes in and meets those people and the guys lying down and, and there's this old man that's really over the top oh balaton he's, he's the granddad yeah yeah yeah, yeah he's, he's oh 
he's I mean, bless him, he's really trying hard, isn't he? Yes. What yeah. dreadful performance. <laughs> he's like, but we must do it now. And then you're thinking, oh, mate, he really thought he was going to get some, you know, get an award for this. But um, yeah, he's not in it very much, thank goodness. But, but in terms of the other performances, though, they are a bit over the top. But like the pirate captain, I mean, he's so likable, though. You know, he's so over the top. And there's lovely moments um, as well when he does, because he is very shouty. But there is the odd moment when he really quiets it down. Um, and I love it. I love it when he does that. There's a bit where he gets told off, and I can't think what he says. He's like, oh, really? And he gets all, so it almost like goes childlike. No no play today or something. Oh, yeah. I can't remember what he, he says. Does, I'm yeah. like, oh, poor old pirate captain. Um, yeah. I, I love his performance, actually. I really do, Bruce Purchase. I think I think he's really fun in it. I, I, I love the – because the cliffhangers I don't think are that great in this, apart from the third cliffhanger, when they push the doctor off, they make him walk the plank, and then they all turn around and do that evil sort of Austin Powers laugh, and I thought, oh, that is a great cliffhanger, actually. It's quite funny. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, he's gone. Yeah, Uh, that's... um, That was good fun. Yeah, I put that down to Pendant Roberts, the director for that bit. That's just... Yeah. It's like, how how can we make this bit just shine a little bit more? So instead of just, you know, the doctor's plummeted to his death, seemingly... Instead of just walking off like, oh, okay, that's him dealt with. Let's really ham it up. Let's do the Bond villain kind of. Yeah, they all just it was full of glee. Yeah. It's a good resolution actually, though, because <laughs> I did think it was uh, in the start of part four. I thought, oh, that's it. I didn't see that coming, and yeah, it seems quite obvious. But that was a good resolution to that cliffhanger. But I think I said it with Rebus operation. The cliffhangers in that weren't very good, were they? If I remember rightly, uh, they weren't great. No. No, and no. I don't think, apart from that one, I don't think the cliffhangers in this are particularly good, especially the cliffhanger to part one where Tom just seems to fall asleep and slide down a wall. I, d- I thought that was really weak. Um, you know, oh, yeah, that's uh, is that when the Menti ads... Um, yeah, when they burst their, in. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then K-9 comes to the rescue a little bit. He sort of, he's cool in this, actually, you know, K-9. He does, get, so he does get quite a bit to do for a change, doesn't he? He does, Isn't actually, he? yeah. Then there's yeah. a bit of a cliffhanger moment for him as well because towards the end it's that they they're trying to sabotage the engines so that this huge craft can't dematerialize and the only way to do that is to get access to the engine room you know when Tom and um Romana were in there earlier on in the story yeah because they, they 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 know that something's wrong so they're like well they don't know they know enough about it let's try and get them to fix it that same room so the menti adds the only way to get access is for them to use their telepathic power to open the door and they can't so k9's there trying to block the the signal and stuff but then he runs out of batteries and yeah and they plug him back in and then he's back up but it's too late and stuff he has like a really cool sort of involvement in the in the climax of the story which is unusual for k9 isn't it he's normally there just to provide a bit of um scientific babble every now and then and maybe provide a bit of a a bit of a way out now and then, but he's quite pivotal in this one. Yeah, normally writers try and sort of sideline K9, don't they? I don't think a lot of writers know what to do with it, really. It's just like like you said, they'll put in the odd scene at the start in the TARDIS and then pretty much get rid of him. Um, but yeah, he does. He gets some really fun moments in this. I mean, even the shootout with the parrot is, is good fun. Mm. Um, you, you know, so yeah, it's, it's nice to see him getting a bit more to do, if you like. Um, I was thinking as well, they make a a, th- a thing of because we said Tom seems really on form on this one, um, 
they make a bit of a thing about his lip in this. So there's a bit where the TARDIS jolts and he bangs his lip to explain. Because I think he'd had, he'd had a dog bite him on the lip or something in real life. Mm-hmm. So they sort of explain it in this story, don't they? Where he hits the TARDIS console and he's sort of, oh, my lip, to sort of explain the scar. Yeah. yeah. But it's weird because we've already seen it quite obviously. And he, he had it in the Rebos, Rebos operation. Um, although they tried to sort of cover it with makeup. So it seems <laughs> odd that they've explained it in the second story to me. Uh, whether they thought, I don't know, maybe it's because now we can see it in high definition, whether they thought, like, back in the day, oh, no one will really notice if we put makeup in the first story and we'll explain it. Yeah. Maybe they were shot out of sequence, in other words. Perhaps this was filmed first and they thought, well, I don't know how it worked, but it just seems odd because it's quite clear the scar in this one at times, especially in those power station scenes, you can really see the scar on his lip. Um, yeah. Maybe he didn't yeah. want to wear makeup for the whole time they were filming. So I've got a feeling it. Uh, yeah, actually now I think about it, I think I saw one of the makings of not on this one, but I have a feeling that when they tried to put makeup on it, it got infected because of the makeup or something. Mm. So that might explain it. Um, but anyway, it's, it's just good to see Tom. It's so full of life considering Perhaps he may not have been, you know, he might have been in a bit of pain with that blimmin' scar. I don't know. But you wouldn't, apart from the actual physical sign of the scar, you wouldn't know uh, that he'd got it, really. His performance is, t- mm. is, is on top form, I think, in this, yeah. this story. Yeah. yeah. The story as a whole is quite cool, you know. It is, yeah. Because we obviously know that they're after the, the segments to the key. Uh, and it's really cool, actually, that this picks up immediately after the other one as well. So at the very beginning in the TARDIS, he's like polishing the first, you know, he's buffing it up nice and shiny, uh, the first crystal that they found in, yeah. in Rebos. And um, so it's really cool that they've got this, because that's one of the things that we spoke about briefly in the last review, is that it's quite an ambitious thing to do. Back in the day, I mean, the moth's like an expert at that sort of stuff, but... Um, <laughs> Back in the day, it was quite ambitious to devote an entire series of, what, six stories? Yeah. All in all? To one story arc, one storyline. And I know it's not everyone's sort of favourite, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it was quite ambitious to do that. But they didn't need to do it in such a linear fashion. They could have spread it out across different things, like, I don't know, like Big Finish would have had a field day with this, like after Reboss. <laughs> yeah. After Reboss, like fill in the, that gap. Exactly, yeah. Like the Doctor and Romana's gone off and done a ton of adventures before they get onto the pirate planet. But they didn't. It's like, right, we need to keep this coherent and keep it going. So and then the story as a whole is actually kind of cool because you didn't see the twist coming towards the end where the no, I didn't character see that at all. No. Um what's her name? Queen Zanzia or something. Fancy, yeah. Yeah, you didn't see her sort of pulling the strings. I mean, you kind of got a little inkling, I think, in part three or in part four. She um she starts getting a bit mouthy and shouty, and you think, oh, okay, so what's her what's her involvement in the hierarchy? Because it seems to like you've got the pirate captain, and then he just oversees, and you've got Fibuli, who's like second in command. It looks like, and he she was just a good seems man. <laughs> she just <laughs> seems to be the like the assistant, nothing more. So you didn't see the twist at the end, and that was cool. I, I liked that because I'll be honest. At first, you don't really even notice her just in the background, do you? She's she's just kind of there. It doesn't really get many lines to begin with. So I loved that that she turns out to be, you know, quite a prominent character. Because um, when you see the old version of her, 
suspended in the last few moments of her life, whatever, you sort of think, what's going on here? And then it all starts to click. Oh, right, that's her. I thought that was a great twist. Um, Took me a bit to get my mind around it, (laughs) in a sense. A bit like the planet um, crunching and all that. I was thinking, what? You know, I think I'd... I was saying earlier, if I was watching this as a kid, I would have loved it. But I think I would have been very confused because, um, you know, I had to really sort of concentrate on what was being said to understand fully what was happening. But, yeah, great twist that because you don't really notice her at all to begin with. You never sort of suspect. I think you start to, don't you, around probably the third, episode three, I reckon. You sort of think, who is this woman that's just sort of lingering in the background? You know, there must be more to her sort of thing. Yeah, um, I think so. so yeah. yeah, so I think that's done really well. I do. Yeah, and it's because um, it's very well. It's non-existent up to that point that she's yeah. anything other than the assistant. So it's great that you get that little inkling come through. And then part four, obviously, it's um, we're we're in business with the whole. Um, she's like the queen of Zanzia, and she's the queen of uh, of Zanak and all that stuff. And like you said, the whole thing where she's managed to give sort of a permanent form to her image, which is the really old lady and stuff. And it's all great stuff. It's like proper, like sci, like classic sci-fi yeah. tropes, isn't it? It's all that, you know, it's not just the doctor that's traveling through, through space and, and stuff. It's like, we've got this other person with all this tech and all this sci-fi stuff going on. It's, it's great stuff really. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I like the fact it picks up straight off from the last part. I, I love, all that stuff at the beginning as well. The, cause we get the do- I think the doctor Romana are uh, becoming quite a fun double at these two. Uh, so they're a little bit standoffish in reboss and they gradually sort of start to work together, but there's a lot of fun between those two in the first couple of parts, isn't there? Like Romana's strong headed and I love it. Like she's intelligent. Um, I love the bit where they come step out the TARDIS and, no one takes the blind bit of notice of the doctor, and he's like, he, he's, he just does that. Doesn't happen very often, does it? Mm-hmm. And and yet she is there, right in the middle of it, getting things sorted. And I I thought there's a lot of fun interaction between those two. I'm really starting to like, um, you know, Romana one. I not that I didn't, not, not that I've ever not liked her, but you know, you say Romana to me, I, I instantly think of Lala Ward. So it's yeah, it's nice to see a sort of different take on on that character. I'm really liking those two together, especially in those first scenes in the TARDIS and when they first land and all that. Um, Cause I don't, I just think it's nice to see the doctor. He, he doesn't quite know how to handle <laughs> Romana, does he? He's, um, he knows that she's sort of as intelligent, if not more than him. Like she could sort of probably tell him how to sort out the TARDIS if she wanted to and fix it and all the bits like that. So he's sort of trying to bluff his way through by cleaning the console. And I know what I'm doing. And, then she'll flip a switch and it works and stuff like that. And it's just really good fun. It's, it's just nice to see a different dynamic. Yeah. I love that stuff where they, where the doctor's like, oh, I know how to fly the TARDIS. It's all good. Yeah. You, know, you don't need an instruction manual. And she's like, yeah, but if we engage this thing, then we can dematerialize really smoothly and stuff. He's like, no, 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 no. He just crack on. No, 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 we don't need that. And yeah. then, she, and then she, she takes over and it's really funny when he dives down and covers his ears with K9, like she's going to wreck the thing. But then, it's all good. And they kind of, I think the moth ripped this off a little bit, didn't he? So there's a yes. a story where River parks the TARDIS and you don't hear the, like the engine sound. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Matt Smith, Doctor, gets really angry, doesn't he? He's like, you know, that he's kind of like, well, that's the way that I land the TARDIS because 
Yeah, I like the crunching sound or something. So yeah. yeah, yeah, and he does like a little impersonation of the sound, and uh, and River's all smug because she's landed it properly. So he kind of ripped that off, didn't he? That yeah that thing. But um, but it's great Definitely. to see it here <laughs> first, though, because um, I feel it's more important here because we are still in that early period of Tom having another companion, and we know what Tom Baker was like back in the day for having certain companions. So I think it was important that they established this relationship quite early on in the key to time stuff. Because the last thing you'd want is like the first two or three stories for Tom not doing that looking in the eye thing and being a bit grumpy and not really being into it. So it's great that those two have got that sort of back and forth between them. Like she's very by the book, very much like, you know, we'll do this by the book. Thank you very much. And he's like, no, no, no. Experience counts for a lot more than reading a book, love. Just let me handle it. It's like that kind of to-in and throwing, which is very, very cool to watch. Tom seems much more happy with Romana as a companion, doesn't he? Mm. He's, he seems the engagement between the two. It, it, you just can tell straight away that he likes the character more. Um, it, it really bugs me, though, because, I, because I'm such a fan of the character of Ligler. I, and I love Tom. You know I love Tom. He's my favourite Doctor. But I get cross of him during the Leela years because he I, I feel like he, he he should have he should have progressed the warmth towards Leela I feel you know he's he's very cold towards her pretty much during the run they're a nice moment but he starts off trying to teach her and you know no more Janus Thorns but then I think he should have warmed more to Leela over the time and I, I know their relationship improved but I still think even when I watch episodes with them together that I love, like fan rock and stuff, I still feel there's a a coldness from Tom towards the character, which seems to have completely vanished with this new companion. He seems to be really enjoying the sort of spiky, almost one-upmanship of of the character of Romana. I think he just likes the character more. I just don't think Tom ever really was on board with the character of Leela. He didn't like the violence. He didn't like the costume. Him and Louise didn't get on. And I think it, it really showed. So, it, I don't know. He just seems like a different... He seems like the sort of earlier Tom Baker, again, sort of full of fun, lots of quips. Like you said, eye contact, fun interaction with the companion. It's definitely back to a more harmonious relationship, I think. Um, it's clear to see, really. Absolutely, mate. Yeah. yeah, and that makes it a much more enjoyable watch as well. It, it does, yeah. That's yeah. why it bugs me when there are so many stories that I love with Leela, but there are moments that just bug me with their relationship, the Doctor and Leela. I mean, even in Wang Chai Ang, oh, such a great story, but he barely looks at her, and there's only that one scene when she walks in with um, clothes on and Tom acknowledges it, you know, or the Doctor, rather, acknowledges it. Doesn't she look nice, Professor? That's, <laughs> that's about as much warmth as you get from him with Leela and I, I wish there'd been more because uh, when you see the great dynamic like you do with Romana and, and everything in in stories like this you think oh man <laughs> it makes such a difference to the story it makes it so much more fun I think fun to watch you know and this is no slight on Tom everyone knows I love Tom and he's he's my favorite doctor but like with anybody you love there are things about them that annoy you and uh, of course, it always yeah. annoys me that Tom didn't embrace the character of Leela a bit more Mm-hmm. back then you know i mean they're great together on big finish i wish we'd had a bit more of that really back then but yeah well it is what it is yeah it's it is certainly nice it is. to see a, a more fun relationship uh, between the doctor and companion 
Yeah. No, I read you, mate. Yeah. It wasn't just the moth that ripped off a bit from this, though. RT- oh, really? RTD grabbed a little nugget. Did he? Yeah. What did he, what did he take? So in the Stolen Earth, you know, when the um, when the Doctor's going through and lists out all the planets that the Daleks had stolen to make the reality bomb. Davros's oh, yeah. reality, yeah. They go through that funny thing, like Clom and all that, and Poosh. Yeah. Uh, one of the planets mentioned is Califrax Minor. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't notice that. I'll have to listen out for that next time. Yeah, yeah. Stole yeah. it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, even the moth. <laughs> Mind you, it's quite nice. I like it when they just throw a little nugget like that in there. Well, not all of fair. them, mate. Let's be honest. No? We Well... Well, yeah, it's great that they use a nugget, but then you've got to pronounce it properly. Oh, yeah, well, there is that. Come yeah. on. Yeah, Metabellius 3, you mean? Yeah, <laughs> Metabellus or Metabolus? Metabolus, that's what? it. Yeah, Metabolus 3. What oh. say you? <laughs> I say, you meta- say Metabolus, yeah. I say Metabolus. Oh, let's call the whole show off. I'm, I'm up for Metabellus, mate. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you. Me too. Yeah. So the story as a whole is very cool. Um, what did you think to... Because some of the cool things that you can do with with who that's been demonstrated over the years is that you can introduce another thing into the story which provides a bit of a mechanism at times to get the plot moving forward and in, in this story it was the mentiads so these were the dudes that were sort of inhabitants of the planet yeah. i think and um yeah so they were they the, the mentiads they're like the natives of zanak and um uh, they they gained the psychic powers when everything started to go go to beep. And um, so they absorbed all of this kind of psychic energy, I suppose, when all the mining equipment was destroyed and the planets, you know, going to, going to crap. Um, but it was kind of interesting that we saw them as a threat early on. So we saw them like the, we thought that they were after, they, they were like these bad dudes who were, who were after something that we didn't quite know at, at the beginning because mm. they just look like these. I think one of the characters like, oh, they're zombies. Yeah, he <laughs> looks really pale, doesn't he, and ill. Yeah. Uh, so we see one of them actually at the beginning, don't we? The the young lad. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, is it Pralix? Pralix? Pralix, yeah. Pralix. Uh, he's kind of going through the transition of becoming one of those mentiads and we feel like he's being taken over against his will and all that stuff. But then they actually turn out to be pretty, pretty all right dudes in the end. Um, But they were um, a a decent little inclusion into the story because I don't know, it just provides like that extra element of, of things to, to get stuck into because without them there, all you would have really is just that cat and mouse game between the doctor and Romana running around. The guards are after them. They catch them. They, they escape. They do all that stuff. Whereas these dudes, they provide a bit of kind of extra lore around the planet itself and the story and the backstory. But then they also end up being an ally in the end to the Doctor, I, which is cool. I think you're right. I think they were needed because I must admit, at first I thought they were a bit pointless. I was thinking, what? why are these guys even in it? But I think you're right. We did need them because although the story, the pacing of the story is pretty decent, you know, I, I didn't find myself getting bored or anything um, during the four parts. But I did notice towards the end, so I think part three, there was a little bit of padding starting to creep in when the Romana and those guys were walking across the Welsh, well, sorry, the planet, um, <laughs> you know, location. 
for about the third time or whatever. And I was thinking, yeah, we're slowing down a little bit now. We need, you know, so I think if you hadn't had them in, there would have been more padding. Um, so they do add an extra element to it. But again, I'd, you know, they, they did feel a little bit pointless to me for a while. I was thinking, what is the point of these guys? So like, what are they, what have they got to do with the story? But yeah, no, I think it, it, it needed them. I think is that there is a little bit of padding in it. Thankfully very little, but there is a few, scenes where there's just a lot of walking around because i started to worry about romana because she's so good in the first couple of episodes and then i was starting to think oh they've run out of things for her to do because she's just walking with those guys again across the cliff tops and you know suddenly she seems to be running out of things to do but it's as i said it's um only really in episode three i think and then it all picks back up again so mm. yeah. yeah but yeah no they're, they're fine yeah they're quite interesting really when once you sort of start digging into the whole mind can, you know, power and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Although like, like K9, they need to be charged up. It seems. Yeah. It sort <laughs> yeah. of fails on them and when they need it the most. <laughs> That's right. Typical. Typical. Yeah. Uh, talking, you said about walking through like the Welsh <laughs> countryside, that loads of it was filmed in Wales, dude. Loads. Yeah, they must have had so. a decent budget for, for location. That's, um, just everywhere, like Berkeley Power Station. Well, not in Wales, but uh, and then like uh, Coity Mountain, Monmouthshire Golf Course of all places. The big, was it? Yeah, the big pit in Gwent. Oh. Um, uh, they actually went to. I can't put my finger on where it was, but I've been to a place where they did film. It's the National Show Caves in Wales. Oh yeah, which is near Swansea. Uh, Daniel Gogoff. and we went there a few years ago. It's a really really cool place. You go underground, and they've got these massive caves that you can. You can go in and stuff, and it's a, it's a really cool place. But I couldn't I couldn't put my finger on where that was in the story, though. But um, yeah, they did loads of location stuff. Well, well, there is stuff in the cave with those those guys, isn't there? The mind power guys. Um, oh, it might be then. Yeah, you know the bit. There's, a, I think it's the cliffhanger to Ep Two, maybe or Ep Three. I've lost track now. But yeah, there's a bit where there is a bit in the cave. I remember a few stalactites or tights where oh, they're yeah, hanging yeah. down. Yeah, it could be that. Do you know what, dude? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah I just had a, a brain freeze for it, but that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what I did love as well. It's such a small thing, but this is kind of what I love about Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who, is that um, just the effort and the, the stuff that, well, you know, no one would have noticed if you hadn't have done that. But so the very end scene, which is filmed, you know, on that Welsh, you know, um, area mm-hmm. uh, outside and, you know, the doctor comes out and they're going to blow up the, the space station, whatever it is, the, you know, the, the model shot. But on the location, they've gone to all the effort of actually bringing the TARDIS prop and putting it really beautifully in the background. So you see the doctor and Romana running towards us and they plant the explosives or whatever. And I'm thinking it's on screen for less than two seconds. Like you wouldn't, it wouldn't have mattered if the doctor and Romana just literally run on into shot, put the explosive down, blown up, you know, but just the fact you have that lovely two second shot of the, them running and the TARDIS in the background. I'm thinking, so they took the TARDIS prop all the way down there for that two second shot. Cause there's no other bit when the TARDIS is on location. I don't think the rest of it's all in studio. Um, okay. but that's, I don't know. It's just a prime example of what I love about like this sort of era of doctor who is just the effort. It's like, yeah, do we need the TARDIS? Of course, bring it, you know, who cares if it's going to take us three hours to put it together on, you know, on a Welsh mountaintop? Let's get it in shot. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was stuff like that, you know, because they go to, 
quite a few locations and whatnot. He, um, the the guy that was overseeing, like head of serials at BBC at the time, Graham MacDonald, his name is. Yeah. He didn't want to do it because he had read the script and read the story, and he was like, "We just can't afford, can't afford to do it. Like we're going to blow the, bu- we're not going to have any budget left for some of the other stories." And um, and he also felt that Douglas Adams, he was just taking a bit too much creative license with the comedic side of things and all that. And, yeah. Uh, but Anthony Reid basically said to him, look, don't worry. Even though he knew as well that it was going to cost quite a bit to do. Because they also went to like, like half a dozen locations throughout Wales and then they filmed at Shepparton as well as the BBC Centre at Shepherd's Bush and all that stuff. And then like you said, just hiring transport, getting the props taken around. It's only on screen for two seconds and all that stuff. Literally, yeah. Yeah. So that you can tell there's a bit of money got into it. And when you yeah. watch um, some other stories like Reboss, where none of it's on location, is it? It's all no, it's all, all studio, studio and it's really basic as well in terms of like, right, just get the lights up. And then you've got some other people who are like, well, maybe we should put this like, no, just light it all the same. We haven't got time to fanny around with all that. Just get the lights on. Three, two, one, right, go. And that was it. Whereas this one, you can tell that a lot more has gone into the actual production side of things and the cinematography. It's not setting the world on fire with that stuff but you can tell they've made more of an effort to make it look like you know a decent story yeah no i i definitely because that's what i was saying earlier if you were watching this back in 1978 i think you can tell that the production side of it is, is had a bit of money put on it i know it looks a bit garish by today's standards um with all the color walls and all that sort of stuff but i mean even the flying car and that the flying you know, it's car bit, it looks a little <laughs> bit like a land speeder doesn't it a little bit yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, even stuff like that to build like a full size, you know, flying car and then they you know, they managed to make it look like it's flying and the model shots and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it I know today's standards it might look a little bit, you know, naff in places, but back then I reckon you could tell mm-hmm. this has some money thrown at it. Yeah. I mean, even the pirate guy, the pirate captain, I mean, <laughs> even his outfit I think is is really decent. I think he looks great. I mean, it's such a cobbled together, like this half, half his head is robotic and he's got this great big robotic arm. I think he looks great. I love the design of him. Um, I did feel for um, Bruce Purchase though, that shot when he blows up. So there's, there's two pyrotechnics set off. I think there's one in his arm, you know, when, when old Xavier or whatever name is shoots him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. When she kills him. Mm-hmm. So they, they set up a pyrotechnic in his arm, and then the next pyrotechnic's in the headpiece, like by the eye, and I was thinking, blimmin' heck. Because we all know, like, back in the day, <laughs> they, health and safety wasn't what it is today, and I was thinking, I don't know if I'd have wanted to have that. that. You just watch that shot when the when he dies. It's, it's a bit close to his face, that, you know. I don't think I'd want to have that thing going off inside my costume like he did so he probably was inside it like you know with his <laughs> eyes closed going oh just just let it let's get this over with this scene um i felt a bit sorry for the actor during that point to be honest no he was up for it yeah well he was yeah but do, what do you reckon to the design of the pirate do you like it yeah i think it was quite cool i like his yeah, yeah. The robot parrot and all that mm-hmm. i think it all looks good yeah do you know what i think there was something cool about his his costume the outfit the way that like you said they kind of cobbled it together and stuff but 
this weird thing on his eye as well. It's a strange yeah, yeah. block. So I think um, one thing to bear in mind is that Star Wars had come out a year before this. Yeah. So when when that had come out, and I imagine that the people working on Doctor Who that were like prop designers and set designers and all that stuff, 99% sure that they would have been interested in Star Wars because it's, you know, the film equivalent sci-fi stuff. I imagine that they probably looked at that and thought, well, that had no budget really. And look at all the cool stuff that they managed to accomplish. Like a lot of the physical stuff on Star Wars was like just model kits that they had taken to pieces and bastardized and, you know, all that stuff. So they probably thought, well, we'll have a go at that. And you can tell because all the stuff down his arm, you can tell it's all just like plastic molded stuff that you would find on kits and everything. And like a bit of hose pipe here and there and some like nice clear acrylic and all that. And they've just put it all together. You can tell that there's like a, I don't know, like a coolness to it, like that kind of Star Warsy vibe. It's not, it's not like feature film quality stuff, but you can certainly still- tell that they've taken influence from. Let's just, let's just go to town on all the little sci-fi bits and bobs, and stuff. It's very cool. Do you, do you like? Because I've I've already said that I I like the pirate captain. I think Bruce Purchase is a. I think he gives a good performance. He is quite shouty, but there are some nice moments with him. But I'm. I sort of got the impression earlier that maybe you thought he was a bit OTT. What do, what do you reckon to him as the captain? Uh, or do yeah, you, or do you um, like him? Yeah, I mean he's not too bad. Um, huh? The only the only thing is I can't I can't quite make up my mind. I haven't figured out yet, and I probably never will. I can't quite figure out whether he he's doing that as a like like as an actor reading the script and coming on to set and doing that stuff. Whether he's like well, this is what I feel this character's like, or whether the director, Pennant Roberts, has said, right, I need you to be OTT, a little bit shouty. I need you to be like, I don't know, like stealing the scene with like your sort of over the top kind of, I don't know. I can't decide whether it's either a combination of both or whether, you know, Bruce Purchase is like, right, I'm just going to get to town on this. It's going to be brilliant. (laughs) <laughs> and they didn't rein him in and just left it. I honestly can't make up my mind, but I think it works in some scenes. Other scenes, I'm like, oh God, like somebody shut him up. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure if he read. I'm not sure if he read between the lines quite right, Bruce. I think because I, I like his performance, but I think um, it might be on the commentary text or something. I think Douglas Adams had sort of written the character to be so when he's being all shouting, that it's him putting on. The captain's doing a bit of a performance, and then when it's unmasked that he's not the actual in charge, he was supposed to sort of drop that a bit, I think, and go back to you know it was all a bit of a show to to make it look like he was in charge when he wasn't. So it wasn't. So I'm not quite sure. Maybe he didn't quite get the performance right. Does that make sense? So the, yeah. the pirate captain is trying to act over the top, like I'm in charge to to keep that you know um, that going. Mm-hmm. What's the word I'm looking for? Whereas when it's revealed he's not really in charge, when it's revealed that Xavier, I keep saying the name wrong, Xavier, Princess, Queen, I mean. Uh, Zanzia, I think. Zanzia, sorry. Yeah, Queen When it's revealed that she's actually, you know, the mastermind behind it all, he was supposed to then sort of revert to being a bit more less shouty, like it was all a bit of an act to fool everyone. Um, Yeah. But I think he kind of just carried on with it. I don't know. But, I mean, it's a difficult thing to get, 
you know, to get that sort of performance in the middle, isn't it? If you're trying to be loud and shouty as a performance <laughs> that's supposed to be a performance, and yeah. then you've got to sort of drop it. Um, he does slightly. I mean, he's quite upset when Mr. Fibuli dies. He's like, he's a good man. You yeah. know, he does so he does revert back to being a bit more uh, normal. <laughs> yeah, even though he'd yelled in his face for the whole story yes. up to that point. Uh... I, well, he was gonna he was gonna set the parrot on him at one point, wasn't he? <laughs> set the parrot on him. Yeah. That cracks me up. Whenever <laughs> someone annoys him, just the parrot comes up. You're like, oh, the parrot's been let loose. Oh, I'm I'm done for. Well, that was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm still making up my mind on. On Bruce Burgess, sure. on that. I'm not yeah. sure. Like, yeah, like there are some scenes where Fibuli comes in and he's like, "Well, we've made good progress on this, but we just need this extra bit. It won't be long." For example, something like that, and he just kick off immediately. It's like <laughs> he's not telling you bad news; he's just letting you know what's like the moons of madness. Blah blah yeah. blah. He's like it was almost like a Nicole Brian Blessed Boop. kind of thing. Oh yeah, well that's a whole nother level. But yeah, he's getting yeah. there, isn't he? Um, yeah, there are some good scenes between those two. I like I like that 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 sort of um, fun interaction between him and Fibuli. I think that again really adds something to the story. It's fun to watch because there's a great bit when he's wants everything destroyed, and then Fibuli is like, "But will the guards know what that is?" And he's like, "Oh, destroy everything!" everything you, know, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, there's some really fun moments between those two. Um, think. Did you, um, Mr. Fibuli, then Andrew Robertson? Yeah. Um, he was quite, he was quite a cool character, but there was um, one thing that I found really funny is that he really took it to another level. Like the, um, he's obviously like the chief something, isn't he? I don't know whether he's like the chief chief scientific advisor or the chief technician or something, but he's in charge of all the science stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he's he's further down in the command chain. So whenever he's talking to the captain, he's he's got this real kind of timid nature about him. Have you noticed that every time he walks off, he sort of does this skulking off little, <laughs> yeah, like he almost wants to be invisible as he walks off. So he sort of bends his knees and hunts, he hunches his shoulders out the room. And he yeah. sort of tipped it like this, almost like Scooby-Doo cartoonish kind of tiptoe <laughs> out of the room. And I was thinking, why, why is he doing this all the time? He's like skulking off. But then, as you go through the story, you realise why. It's because he's getting his head ripped off, like, every single scene. Yeah. He's, like, getting his face ripped off by the captain. And you think, crikey, he wonder wants to keep his nut down. He just wants to to sort of get in, give his update, and then get out like a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> but I found that really funny how he sculpted in and out. It's brilliant. Yeah, I did. I really like the character. As I said, I think him and the captain are great together. But uh, Fibula is a great character because he's, he's not a weed. He's intelligent, but he is obviously scared of the captain you'd almost think in this story normally when you get that sort of relationship you'd almost expect fibuli to betray him and like revenge for all those years that you've you know undermined me and made me feel small you know you'd expect him to turn on the captain at some point wouldn't you but actually no he's quite he's actually quite loyal to the captain despite Hmm. all this stuff but Oh, that's the other bit. I was, there's always a scene when I think, oh, if we were watching this together, we'd be cracking up. There was a few in this one, but there's the bit when um, Queen Xav- Xavier... Xanzia. Xanzia, that's the one. Where she, 
she sort of turns on the captain and he's like, I've had enough of you, you old <laughs> hag. <Yeah. laughs> something like that. And then, and then, of course, she blows him up. But yeah. that cracks me up. <laughs> I love it when you get stuff like that. It's your old fool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another bit that I cracked up. I had to pause it, actually. <laughs> it's um, the bit right at the beginning when, well, not right at the beginning, but in part one, where the mentioids are walking across the muddy field. Yeah. <laughs> and they're slipping and sliding all over the place. One of them actually <laughs> one of them actually proper falls over, but they cut just as just before he hits oh, the deck. They um... I didn't notice that. <laughs> oh, I'll have to go back and watch. It's part brilliant. One, dude. Part one, oh. yeah. There's a bit where they're just it's either uh, in part one or very early in part two, I can't remember, but they're um Yeah. I think the the captain and those lot they're watching them on the screen. So they're watching those guys move across, you know, they sort of march in like two by two. So they're going across this bit and there's like a bit of an uphill bit, but it's the grass is no longer there in that bit because it was clearly just raining heavily for ages Yeah, in Wales. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this bit, it's like a bit of an incline and it's just all mud, like slippery mud. And there's one of them that sort of loses his foot a little bit at the front and then another one does the same thing. But then at the back, one of them properly loses it and... <laughs> oh, no. but they cut they cut just before you see him go over it's brilliant i shall have a look i guess so they're wearing those nice beige yellow outfits as well i bet it bet in the next take they're like oh, we can't do it again because you're now covered in mud yeah <laughs> actually that's a good point when um there's a bit where uh romana and those guys are walking across a field and it's really muddy and the camera's behind them and she's walking off and you can see mud all up the back of her boots and at the back of her trousers and stuff, and then the next scene, it's all pristine white and and all that stuff. It's um, yeah, the oh, continuity so. person was on holiday, obviously. Magic cleaning clothes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was something else. Oh, the last thing I wanted to say was, um, did you think that the effects were relatively clean in this? So normally, when they do the blue screen stuff. Mm. The telltale signs is like the hair looks awful. It's normally like fuzzy this, lines. And... Yeah, all this fringing and pixelation, everything around hair and stuff. Yeah, but in this, it was actually. I'm not sure whether they'd advanced anything at this point or whether it was just a bit of a clean up in, um, for the DVDs and whatnot. But like in the flying cars, they've just used a, a pure blue background for the sky. Um. So I'm not sure whether it was that because obviously blue screen and the color blue matches quite well anyway. But then there was another bit like when they're going down the um, the the very fast travelator thing corridor thing. Oh yeah. Um, even that it looks not too bad. And there's another scene where they're watching something on a screen. So on set they were just looking at a bit of blue cloth, you know, in the shape of a screen, and then they put this in afterwards. But even that looked okay. Like all of the outside edges and the lines looked really clean and. Not the yeah, typical they, classic Who blue screen. Yeah, you're right. They normally have like a jagged line and they normally haven't quite managed to fit the square into the right shape because of the angle. So it's normally like a line going off <laughs> to one end. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, no, it did look clean now you mention it. Um, I almost wondered if the flying carpet was just against a sort of screen or something. I, yeah, because there's no fuzz on anything. Um, no, it, the it fan is, on it? as well, the wind's blowing yeah, and everything. Fan. Yeah, I thought good. the model shots were decent for the time as well. I mean, clearly models, but I like the, would you call it the 
the you know like the where they're supposed to be the oh that's called the bridge wasn't it? those three buildings the bridge, on the mountain yeah yeah they looked really good yeah i saw miniatures. that i mean just yeah. just a very simple design but i like i liked it yeah yeah, the, that, that was really cool, actually. I remember thinking, for some reason in my head, I thought, they look awful. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. And then when I watched it last night, I was like, crikey, they look really good. And then the, yeah. the, the last shot when they explode and all the everything, you can tell it's a miniature, obviously, but it's done very well. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, yeah, it's clearly a model, but it just, I don't know. Again, it just looks like it's had a bit of time spent on it, if you know what I mean. It, it did look good, yeah. Um, the only other thing oh, no, sorry one more scene that we would have cracked up at is when the doctor first steps onto that into that corridor thing or no oh, yeah. is it the other guy that steps onto it uh chimus uh, oh, he's doing the running on the spot <laughs> <laughs> the running on the spot eh? oh dear how did they not how did they not just cut that out of it and just think like we need something else in there we can't have him running on the spot it looks ridiculous there's a fun bit when the doctor sends the guards flying into the wall as well. And I was imagining like the props people on the other side of that set holding that wall for them to fly into because it still wobbles massively. <laughs> but you know they really throw themselves into that that bit. That's, That's another great. fun, fun yeah. scene actually. I like that. Um, no, the only other thing I'd got to mention was the music. Really, I, I once again I love Dudley's music, and I noticed it particularly when the doctor's um, made to walk the plank. It sort of he really ramps up the. You know, because I, as I said, the cliffhanger is a bit weak uh, in this story, but I do like the, the Walk the Plank one. But um, I think Dudley's music really built that scene up nicely. Mm. So, yeah, 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 just hats off to old Dudley. I always like his music, to be honest. Yeah, he's a good... It, he's, he he does get a bit samey. I mean, he uses the same sort of instruments and stuff. Mm. But I don't know. There's There's a real... I think it really just suits this era of Doctor Who. Like, it, it's feel, to me, it feels part of it. A bit like Murray gold with david tennant and that sort of it just uh, dudley's music just really fits this era of who i think i always notice when it's a different composer straight away yes you just tell yeah. when it's dudley yeah yeah dudley's stuff's pretty sweet actually it's um yeah you always know when you're watching a dudley simpson show uh, episode as well it's got yeah. a quirky kind of experimental feel to it at times and, the only thing is i do start because he did most of the music for blake seven it's so similar. I often think, you know, the, the lines really blur sometimes. Like, you know, you, there's certain sort of cue, music cues and some of the build-up music he does. And I think, oh, it sounds like when the Federation are stomping in in Blake 7 and stuff. But, yeah. As I said, I know he gets a bit similar at times, but I, I do love Dudley's music. I really mm. do. No, it's good. Yeah. Well, I haven't got anything else on my uh, on my list, dude. What about you? No. No, I don't really. I think I've pretty much covered it. Uh, who's going yeah. first? Can't remember. I think it's me. I think. Yeah, you go first. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give this a seven point five. Cool. Um, so am I. Oh, nice. So am I. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it more than Reboss, and I know I rated Reboss seven. I think I was between six point five and seven with Reboss. One I. This, I probably feel like it should be like an eight, really, comparing it to Reboss. But for me, it's not quite reaching that level of an eight i don't know why it's um it's fun performances are good i don't know it's just this whole sort of era just is missing something for me to to, to bring it up into like you know past the eight mark if you like so yeah i'm going with a 7.5 as well oh nice, nice. Yeah, cool. so we're on the same page there mr fibuli mr fibuli 
Right. We had some reviews in, though, from our awesome listeners. Let's see what those guys have to say. First up, as usual, Sammy Satine from Down Under. Hey, Gary and Adam. Sammy Satine here. So, the pirate planet. I feel like I've missed something. The Who addicts seem to love it. So does Stu Bagful. I feel like I've watched a different story. Maybe I wasn't in the mood, but this didn't do much for me. The captain was shouty. The twist was good. I like Romana one. I didn't like the bit where they suggest that Romana should talk to the natives because she's prettier than the doctor. It's that patronising attitude of, oh, we'll just put a pretty face in front of the blokes and that'll distract them. It's like when Perry's breasts make an appearance later down the line. It's unnecessary. I give it five gemstones out of ten. Stay well. Wash your hands. See ya. Oh, Sammy. Sammy, not in the mood for it. Not Sam. in the mood. I, I think the key to times like that in general, to be honest. I mean, it's a bit like Reboss Operation Sammy. I I never feel like I'm going to enjoy it. I don't know what it is about that story. I always, I never reach for it. And yet when we watched it the other week, I really enjoyed it. But I, you just have to be in the mood, I think, for key to time. Like there are, there will be other times I've put Reboss on and I've literally lasted one episode and switched it off. It's, you know, it's just, I think this whole season is just a bit odd. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right, mate. Yeah. A bit odd. But thank you very much, Sammy. As always. Uh, moving on, this is Mr. Josh Hockey. So, my review of the Park Planet. The beginning special effects were hilarious and the cliffhangers were really, really good. The Doctor and Romana are always good. I thought one of the best scenes was the Jelly Baby Trail because it was really funny. It started to get a little bit slow near the end and a bit confusing. I'm going to give the Pirate Planet a 7.5 out of 10 because overall I really enjoyed the story. 7.5. Same as this. That's good. Is that is uh, Josh a newbie? Was it Josh, sorry? Uh, Josh, no, I think he sent him on before. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's just reminded me talking about the Jelly Babies. I forgot to say it in the review. Um, um, Romana One, what's her name? <laughs> Mary Tam. Mary Tam. Yep. She's um, on the making of on the DVD and... Um, she, she I, I never met her, but she always comes across really lovely. Um, but she does say that she had trouble prizing those jelly babies out of Tom's hands. Like, he really didn't want to give up the jelly babies. So, you know, uh, I was saying earlier about the relationship um, being much better between the actors. I think there were still a few moments where Tom was a bit, you know, torita- uh, what's the word, torritorial? Uh, territorial. About territorial. Jet- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just, yeah, he still needed a bit of coaxing to hand over those. Mm. Jelly babies, apparently. <laughs> Stubborn old git. Just give me the jelly babies, will you? Well, she's a strong personality. I think she said, I've soon put him straight or something. Yeah. I thought, oh, yeah, I bet you did. You can imagine <laughs> that, though. You can imagine Tom being yeah. like, these are oh, mine. No. Yeah. yeah, this is the doctor's thing. No, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much, Josh. 7.5 on the right track there, dude. Same as us. Let's go to Martin Arnold. You know, I don't know what to say about The Pirate Planet because it, it's an episode that just breaks me. It's just so bonkers. It's it's the most insane storyline. The captain is just crazy. It's, it's, it's great, but it's just hard work. Um, Tom is, at this point, uh, he does start to get a little bit irritated because you kind of see where it's going. It's... Um, you know, the doctor says something and then gets put in his place by Romana. And their chemistry is great. 
and I do really like Mary Tam's take on the character. You know, they're, they're a great double act, but, you know, it, it, Tom needs to be reeled in a bit, bless him. We love him dearly, but, you know, it, yeah, okay. Um, the captain is fantastic. Mr. Figbilly, uh, you know, it's this, this sort of simpering second in command. It's, it's just bonkers and wonderful, but it, it does, it wears me out every time I watch it. So for that reason, um, perhaps unfairly, I'm going to give it seven moons of madness out of ten. <laughs> Cheery bye. <laughs> it certainly is bonkers. I'll agree with you there. <laughs> it's bonkers. It is, yeah. And seven's not a bad score, Martin. It's pretty good. No. no not bad. Yeah. Thank you very much, mate. Uh, moving on, this is Joe Turner. Hello, Gary and Adam at the Big Blue Box podcast. Joe Turner here. Wow, I thoroughly enjoyed the Pirate Planet. I love this idea of a planet governing other planets and mining its best resources to keep its inhabitants prosperous and wealthy. I think Douglas Adams produced a unique yet original script. Again, I love Tom in this episode. I think his banter with Romano is just great. And that scene between him and the Pirate Captain when he discovers his trophy cabinet, so to speak, for all these planets... And he just is enraged with him. It's just beautiful. I thought Tom really, really gave a great performance in that one scene. He really connected with his anchor. Finally, I have to say one of my favourite scenes is K-9 chasing that robot Barrett. <laughs> Go on, K-9. That was just brilliant. I love that. And, yeah, I thought it was a great um, episode. I give it 9 out of 10. Thank you. A 9? A 9 out of 10. Crikey. Strong score. Actually, that's just reminded me there was something else I forgot to say in the review, actually, that I really wanted to say. And that is, as much as I love Tom, and he, he is on great form in this story, I very rarely notice Tom uh, fluffing his lines. And I don't know if you noticed this, but he did it a couple of times in this story. He did. And I, I, yeah. That's quite unusual, I think, for Tom. I've never noticed him really... Like they, they, they just carry on the scene. So there's one bit where he says the line and he really, he's sort of forgotten it for a split second. So he just says it again and carries on. And I thought, you know, he is on great form. Don't get me wrong, but I very rarely see Tom fluff his lines and then leave it in. But there's a couple of bits in this where they, where he does that. There is. Yeah. There's a scene yeah. where he's talking to Romana and in the TARDIS. Yes. That's that. Yeah. yeah and there's another one later on. Yeah. I haven't, there's a bit with the pirate captain, I think, where he, you just see his thread of, lo- of thought just goes for a second, a split second, and he sort of loses his thread, and then he's straight back on it. But yeah, I don't often see that from Tom. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because um, it's it's that scene when they're having that where he shouts, they raise their voices quite a lot, and yeah, yeah, you do, you do feel like, what's going on? Maybe maybe mm. a time thing. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Mm. Uh, last up on the audio reviews, this is. The ever-entertaining Mr. Seb Lane. Hello, Gary and Adam. I hope you are both well. Now, this week we're back on the Pirate Planet, the second story in the Key to Time season. Now, this story is very, very wacky. I think it is the most fun out of all six stories. We have robot pirates and a maniac pirate. It's very good that K-9 got things to do too, and as per usual, Romana is terrific. It is a very entertaining story, and one that I can put on whenever I am feeling down or sad, or just I want cheering up. This is an excellent story in my opinion, and it has grown on me since the first viewing. I therefore would give it 
a 7.5 out of 10. Bye for now. A 7.5, eh? A 7.5 from Tom Baker. I mean, Seb Lane. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Yes. <laughs> Seven point something seems to be the average so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, thank you very much, Tom. I mean, Seb, uh, and all the other, all the other audio reviewers, very much appreciated as always. Let's move on to the other socials over on Twitter. We had a few there. Caitlin Dalek one hundred said, "Mr. Phoebe Lee, yes, the Pirate Planet, my fave story from the key to time." Both the Doctor and Romana stand out here, which is fantastic. Nice to see K nine getting a lot to do here, as it makes him quite memorable. Uh, the twist at the end was simply awesome. Fantastic. Nine out of ten. Mm, nine, okay. The guys over at the Lost on Gallifrey podcast says, so much fun. Flying cars, zoomy escalators, robot parrots, crazy pirates. Uh, Mr. Fibuli, Adam's impression of this rivals your sill, Gary. <laughs> Who said that? Uh, the Lost on Gallifrey podcast. I'm not sure which one of those guys runs the channel, but... Uh, it's one of those dudes. <laughs> um, uh, a cracking piece of fun, uh, as is most of the keys to time, an eight out of ten. Eight, nine. Yeah. Uh, John Griffiths says, awful. Oh. Uh, a species able to cover planets in order to extract all minerals, yet only able to make laser guns with the accuracy of fairground pellet guns. <laughs> uh, guards who fall twice for a jelly baby trail. Stupid killer parrot. Inability to speak quietly. Tedious country romps. Two out of ten. Oh, dear. John. I must admit, the second time they did the Jelly Baby thing, I did think, yeah, you've done that gag. I don't think that should have been done twice, but there you go. Do you know what, dude? The second time that they did it, I thought it was just a re repeat in the first scene. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. It wasn't until I saw a different trail of Jelly Babies on the ground. I thought oh, it was different, but I thought, are they just replaying the same bit from it? Anyways, yeah. A bit of padding. Yeah, I meant to say that earlier. That's another little bit of padding, I thought. I was like, come on, Dougie, you've done this. Yeah, fail for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Edward Gillooly says, an enjoyable adventure with a memorable villain. All the cast are good, with the robot parrot being the highlight of 7 out of 10. <laughs> and lastly on Twitter, Brian Chapman says, uh, an enjoyable story. Tam and Tom made a great duo. I detect parts of this storyline in the inferior tale, the Battle of Ranscore of Colos. Mm, there might have been a bit of a actually, actually, mm, Chibber's ripping off as well. What's that blimmin' parrot called? He I, he does mention it. Yeah, once. you go and find that out. Uh, Seven point five <laughs> out of ten. Over on Facebook, we had a few over there. Jordan Shortman says which is one of our writers go and check out his stuff over on the website he says one of the only few stories i would say were a true atrocity the oh. script is terrible the dialogue excruciatingly brought to life by some of the worst acting i've ever seen throwing yeah. some dodgy special effects one of the most ott performances from the pirate captain and the less said about the poxy parrot the better yeah. even the performances from tom baker and mary tam can't save this one for me crikey jordan Jordan, you surprised me. I'm surprised by that as well. I thought Jordan would be all over this one. Yeah. Blimey, doesn't even give it a score. Not even worthy of a score. Bloody hell. <gasps> Blimey. Yeah. Uh, Gordon Hudson, uh, short and sweet, just says, I wasn't convinced by the season at the time. It was first broadcast. It seemed contrived and Tom seemed different. He is quite mm, different. He is different. Yeah. yeah. Charlie Turner, the absolute worst one in the season. Oh. Uh 
Really? Yeah, the pirate captain is my thoughts on actor Brian Blessed, a too over-the-top person sounding like a clown that's in a badly performed circus act. <laughs> if I want to see an over-the-top performance done just about right to me, then I'd rather watch the 1960s Adam West Batman. Oh, I love the, then, I love the 60s Batman. Oh, it's a classic. Uh, and gives some other examples. Goes on to say, uh, I can't give the Pirate Planet any more than 2 out of 10. Charlie, oh, dear. dear. Another one not a fan. Yeah, Millie McKenzie says, a strong story. It holds the pace well. I love the charming special effects, especially the adorable epic battle between K-9 and the Parrots. Uh, <laughs> love how he brings his kill to his owner all proud <laughs> uh, awesome scene where doctor confronts the captain in the planet trophy room great to see tom give a passionate and powerful performance because i find his constant silliness can be tiresome <laughs> eight out of ten yeah so all right. crikey so it seems like audio reviews and twitter are bringing the beef they're bringing the sevens and the eights and a couple of nines whereas over on facebook those dudes are killing it i know Not in a good way no uh, what's the name of that bloody parrot right Oh, on? I found it. Oh, it's it. a right. polyphase Avatron. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I Avatron. mean, you know, it yeah. just rolls off the tongue. I can't believe I've forgotten that. <laughs> How did you forget that, dude? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It, weirdly, it, I Googled it. It came up straight away. Um, well, I remember as well, did you notice that the end credits are in black and white apart from episode one? And oh. I want to know why. If any listener out there knows. I did all... not know that. I would notice yeah, you, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was on the on the DVD anyway, unless it's been corrected. But because I thought I was going mad, I was like, the the, the when it breaks into the um, the credits at the end, hmm. it's all blue tunnel effect. But the rest of it, it's um, sort of like a silver. It looks black and white. Hmm. Right. So next, actually, no, we're not recording next week. We are both um, uh, busy and out and about next week. So an, another week with no show. But so the week after, what have we got then, dude? Yeah, so the week after, the Stones of Blood. Stones. Yeah, watch out for those big old stones on wheels coming towards you. Stones of Blood. Indeedy. Yes, the 100th story, no less, in oh, Doctor yes. Who's history. So yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so obviously you've got a whole week and a bit or two weeks to uh, to get this watched. So, um, yeah, keep an eye out on the socials. We'll be asking for your thoughts, as always, on that stuff. And uh, yeah, I think we'll do there, bud, for 274. Alrighty. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming back for another week of the big blue box podcast it's been great to have you all here as always thank you so much to all of our subscribers and people sending audio reviews and all that stuff very very um uh, appreciate the fact that you take the time out to listen to the show any newcomers that have jumped onto the tardis waving welcome 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 any long-time listeners welcome back it's great to have you as always Remember to subscribe to our show and whatever podcast app you get your podcasts on. Just do a search of the Big Blue Box podcast or head over to the website, Big Blue Box Podcast at Cadet UK. There are links off to go and subscribe to the various uh, podcast uh, apps. And if you've got a minute to leave a review and a rating, that'd be awesome because, as I mentioned earlier, that helps us loads and loads. We'd love you lots and lots for that. Uh, we're on the socials too Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebook. Mm-hmm. there are links on the website to that go and interact with us over there we chat plenty of Doctor Who 
throughout the week. It'd be great to chat to you over there. And we also have a free Discord server too. So come and hang out with um, some other Who fans and chat Doctor Who, chat about the show, chat about merch, classic Who, modern Who, big finish, events that are coming up, all that stuff. We chat about all that over there. Uh, and also um, head over to my co-host's channel over on YouTube. I'm getting tired of mentioning it, to be honest. <laughs> Go and have a look at the Geeks Handbag, <laughs> my YouTube channel. Full of lots of vids. I jest, of course. I never tire of saying it. Yeah. Go and check it out. The Geeks Handbag on YouTube. I do a new unboxing, shouldn't I? A new blind box one. But I've already opened them, so too late. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you'll put some gloves on, though. Absolutely. Of course. Yep. <laughs> so go and check out Adam's channel. Go and get a cold drink or a cup of tea, depending on the weather. Settle in and go and check out all that stuff. Adam's on the socials, too, under the same name on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So, uh, same rules apply. Go and like, go and follow, go and interact and chat and all that, all that jazz. Uh, not next week, but the week after, we're on to the Stones of Blood, part three of the Key to Time. Let's go and see what the old uh, pesky uh, uh, rituals and whatnot, and uh, what's the name? Kaliach. See what she's got to say uh, about <laughs> all that. Yes. Uh, until then, though, take care. And my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... Eh... 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 Eh...